many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to fill us with your Holy Spirit. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would communicate with the heart as your words and your truth is preached. Without you, we can do nothing. And we pray above all things, Holy Spirit, that we would lift up Jesus, the greatest friend of all. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus came to this earth to be your friend. He longs to sit with you and have deep conversation. Isn't that what we really crave? Deep conversation. It's fun to have light conversation and just have fun and carry on, but isn't it wonderful when you can really talk to somebody who really cares about matters of the heart? And we see in this passage of Scripture, if you're sick, if you're not whole, Jesus wants to be your friend. If you're a sinner, Jesus wants to be your friend. That word whole has the idea of being unwell. Are you emotionally unwell? Maybe full of depression, anxiety or even maybe suicidal? Are you morally unwell? Are you narcissistic? Life is all about you. Are you addicted to pornography? You know, m more people than not, probably in our generation, have some sort of addiction to pornography. But guess what? Jesus wants to be your friend. Are you full of greed? Are you physically unwell? Maybe you eat too much. Or you have an eating disorder and are starving to death. Maybe you cut yourself and bleed. Thinking that that might solve a problem in your heart. Or maybe your, broke, your body is just broken from accidents, from disease. Jesus wants to be your friend. Maybe you're functionally unwell. Your kids are out of control. Or you're lazy and have trouble getting out of bed. Or the debt 
is driving you to bankruptcy. Or maybe you are relationally unwell. Your marriage is falling apart. Or you're estranged from your parents or your siblings. Or you're just lonely. You're just lonely. Maybe your sexual identity is unwell. You're actually unsure of who God made you to be. The Bible tells us that God is not the author of confusion. The devil's the author of confusion. If you're unwell in any area or any part of your heart, Jesus wants to be your friend. You can come to him with all of your sin, all of your brokenness, all of your baggage, and he will gladly receive you. His call is a call of repentance. Because it is sin that has devastated this world. And sometimes a lot of our brokenness is because of someone else's sin. But we are also sinners ourselves. And a lot of our brokenness is because of our own sin. Jesus has instant and complete forgiveness. And a prescription to fix your broken life. You know, when you become Jesus' friend, He washes all your sin away. And He begins a process of fixing you up. It's a beautiful process. It's not a short process. It's a lifelong process. He's a wonderful Savior. He's a wonderful friend. This past week, four of our ladies attended a biblical counseling um, seminar in Indiana. And one of the one of the speakers at the seminar has been a doctor for 49 years. He's an OBGYN doctor, an obstetrician, women's health. And for 29 years, he's been a biblical counselor. And he made this statement. He said, when people come to me with their problems, if my, counsel, if my counselee is willing to make this one statement, then I can 100% assure them that I can help them. And this is the statement. I want to glorify God with my life more than I want to breathe. And he's seen a lot of hard cases through the years, 29 years of counseling. And that's how he starts his counseling. You see, that is a statement of repentance. Jesus came to be your friend. He wants to sit down with you today and he wants to go below the surface. We're all smiling today. But Jesus knows what's broken underneath. And he wants to talk deeply about those matters of the heart. The broken, sinful world in which we live, 
and our sinful choices have brought brokenness to our lives. But Jesus is the answer. And He is the answer if you'll simply turn from your sin and come to Him. I love the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel. That's the good news to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and the recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. He is a wonderful friend. He is a wonderful Savior. And guess what? There's no problem that you have that Jesus can't fix. If you'll just come to Him and let Him be your Savior today. Do you remember your first memories as a child? Let's just pause for a minute. Can you remember your first memories? Where you were, maybe the house you lived in, maybe the way your mother or father looked when you were a little child, maybe a really happy moment or maybe a traumatic moment. Maybe you were three. Maybe that memory is from when you were three. Maybe when you were four. Maybe when you were two. Maybe when you were five. I remember looking out the window. It was dark. I was probably like down here, right? The windowsill's here. And I'm kind of peeking over the window. There was a busy street, Joseph Howe Avenue, just beyond the sidewalk. I was crying waiting for my mom to come home. Behind me, comforting me, was my Grampy Scott. He was slender, normal height, a wiry man with a tapered, well-groomed, full head of white hair. Grampy Scott was in his late 70s, a widower for a few years, and the safe haven for my mom as she began life as a single mother. Where was mom that night? As this little boy looked out over the dark street. She was out looking for a social life to fill a void in her life. Now most often she'd be home in the evenings after working all day as a VON nurse. She was a good nurse. And I often heard her say, with as much lifting as a nurse has to do, we need more strong men in this line of work. Granby Scott filled one of the dearest places in my heart as a child. Mom and I lived in Halifax with him for a couple years before moving to Ontario. Almost every summer from the time I was five till I was 15, my mom and I would travel on the train to see Grampy Scott and our Nova Scotia relatives. Have you been to Nova Scotia? If you've been to Nova Scotia, raise your hand. Oh, if you can ever take the train to Nova Scotia, take it. If you can ever go there, some of the friendliest people in the world. 
That, that, that road that was in front of that window, it was a four-lane road, kind of like Canada Way. Canada Way is like a, it's like a highway. Anybody been down Canada Way before? It's like a highway. If you stand on the, if you stand on the sidewalk and you want to cross where there's no crosswalk on Canada Way, um, guess what? You better not lean out too far because you'll be dead. It's like a raceway. When my boys delivered newspapers in the neighborhood, part of the route was to walk down Canada Way with their papers. And I thought, Lord, don't let them slip into this road because they'll be dead. They'll be, they'll be gone. But Joseph Howe Avenue in Halifax, four-lane road just like Canada Way, probably just as busy as Canada Way. If you, came, if you stood on the sidewalk and looked this way or that way, all the traffic would stop and you'd walk across. It's just the Nova Scotia way. I hope maybe you can visit Nova Scotia sometime. Um, I love Nova Scotia. Grampy Scott loved me in his rough and gentle way. He was a man's man. He loved boxing. And he loved scrapping. And he loved telling me stories about the guys he beat up. He was a successful business owner. He was a plasterer before drywall was invented. He was a farmer. On weekends, we always went to old barns, his childhood home where they had a 100-acre farm. And I, I would get to ride the tractor with him. I loved sitting on his knee. I loved playing checkers. And even when I was a teenager, I never beat him. Do we have any checker players in here? Do we have chess players in here? Yeah, okay. But I never beat him. He, he just knew how to set me up, and he'd clean the board. I loved listening to his stories. I loved playing auction 45. I loved listening to him play his harmonicas the big fat one and the skinny little one. And he even let me blow into his harmonicas. Now that's love, folks. Because when you blow into a harmonica, what comes out the other side? Spit. But he loved me that much that I could blow in his harmonica. I hated leaving. When we went in the summers, we would go for two weeks, three weeks, a month. And I hated leaving to go back to Ontario. He, was, he always looked old. And I was afraid that I'd never see him again. But I also loved leaving because just before you left Grampy Scott, he pulled this. Okay. It was about twice as big as this, and it was just bills. It was a wad of bills, about, about that big. And it would open up, and the hundreds were on the back, the 50s were in the middle, and the 20s were at the front. And he'd start peeling off the 20s. 20, 40, 60, 80, and 100. Oh, I felt like the richest man on the planet. I think when he gave my mom money, he would take from the other side and give her hundreds. Grampy Scott was my hero, 
and I knew he loved me. I have a precious memory of Grampy Scott that relates to the song we sang during the hymn time called What a Friend We Have in Jesus. I remember when he would go to bed, he would have his button-up pajamas on, and he would kneel beside his bed and pray in the light of a small lamp beside his bed. And I remember hearing him sing, What a friend we have in Jesus. When I accepted Jesus as my Savior as a 12-year-old boy, my heart became burdened to know if Grampy Scott was saved. You say, why would you have doubts? Well, I had memory of his bedside prayers, his love, kindness, and generosity. But I had never seen him go to church, read the Bible, or talk to me about Jesus. This burden for his soul grew as I got older. But after I turned 15, life was so busy as a teenager and part-time jobs, I didn't make any more of those summer trips to Nova Scotia. And so from the time I was 15 till about 22, I maybe talked to him a few times on the phone, sent him letters. But in the fall of 1992, when Lisa and I were new missionaries on deputation, and Adriana was just a few months old, we traveled to Nova Scotia, really for the express purpose of seeing my 99-year-old 99, 99 Grampy Scott. He was 99 years old. He was living in a nursing home. He'd only lived there a year or two. And he, he drove his own car I think into, into his mid-90s, and lived in his own home till at least he was 97. Folks, you're stuck, stuck with me. If I got that, those genes, you're stuck with me a long time. <laughs> I wanted to introduce my beautiful wife to him and our little Adriana, and I wanted to talk to him about Jesus and to see if he had ever trusted Christ. You see, the Bible teaches that when we die, we either go to heaven or we go to hell. And there is only one way to be saved. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. In Acts 4.12, Peter said, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And I wasn't sure when I was a little boy um, visiting my Grampy Scott. For many of those years, I wasn't saved. And then the last few visits, I, you know, I was just a new Christian. And 
probably didn't know how to explain it or how to talk to him about that. You know, the question was, had Grampy Scott ever asked Jesus to save him? Had he ever put his trust in Jesus? I didn't want my, my dear Grampy Scott to go to hell. And I didn't want to live forever without him. I wanted to know for sure he was heaven bound. Like the song Mrs. Odom sang, I wanted to stroll over heaven with him. I knew he was leaving soon, but one day I wanted to see him again. Grampy Scott was in a nursing home. And he moved there when he was about 97, but then he deteriorated quickly. When I witnessed to him about Jesus, he got angry and he cussed at me. He had never done anything like that to me in the 20 years that I knew him. And I think probably it was just Dementia talking. And so my hope is that my Grampy Scott was truly a friend of Jesus and that his bedtime prayers were not an empty ritual, but rather an expression of a saving faith in Jesus Christ. And I hope that when my life is done, and I close my eyes in death that I will awake to see him again. You know, today you are here because someone that loves you wants to stroll over heaven with you. You see, your soul isn't temporary. It is eternal. You were made for eternal friendship with God. But friendship requires choice. God will never force you to be his friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a beautiful truth. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and with His stripes we are healed. Where does healing come from? It comes from the cross of Jesus Christ. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. That's why we need to repent. We've all gone our own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Apostle Paul said these words, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. He bears all our sin. And he bears all our griefs. It's Jesus that said, let not your heart 
be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Casting all your cares upon him, for he careth for you. What is the greatest care on your heart? Today, Jesus says, cast it on me. And guess what? He can handle it. He can handle it. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. There's a lot of Christians, and I've been one of those Christians who has forfeited peace because I didn't take those things to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. The original name for this hymn was Pray Without Ceasing. Not what a friend we have in Jesus, but pray without ceasing. You see, the relationship God wants to have with you is a moment by moment, minute by minute, hour by hour, in the daytime, in the nighttime, relationship with you. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. He is interested in our trials. There's a song that my wife's listened to many times. And it says these words. If it matters to you, it matters to the master. He is interested in our trials. You say, but my trials aren't that big. Folks, if it matters to you, it matters to the Master. He is interested in our temptations. He is interested in our temptations. And He promises there's no temptation taken you, but such is is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you or allow you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. The wonderful thing, when you become a Christian, you won't become a moral zombie. You say, what's a moral zombie? I'm going to do what's right because God told me to. I'm never going to sin again because God told me I can no, we still live in a moral world. We'll still be tempted with evil. And we get the wonderful privilege of depending on the faithfulness of God to help us do the right thing. 
And with every choice like that we make, we express our love to others. And He showers us with blessings. What a privilege. You know, He's even interested in our betrayals. The next verse says these words, Do thy friends despise, forsake thee? Have you ever been betrayed by a friend? By a family member? Has the knife of betrayal gone deep in your heart? Guess what? Jesus can take care of that as well. Can we find a friend so faithful? Who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. You don't have to be Superman either to get Jesus' love. You just come as you are. And He'll be your friend. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In His arms He'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find a solace there. Jesus is strong. He is faithful. He is a refuge. He is comforting. He is dependable. I asked, I asked ChatGTP this question this week. How many Christian hymns? It's difficult to provide, this is the answer, it's difficult to provide an exact number. As the history of Christian hymnody spans centuries and includes contributions from various cultures and denominations. However, it's safe to say that there are tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of Christian hymns that have been written throughout history. New hymns continue to be composed, translated, and adapted, adding to the rich tapestry of Christian worship music. When I made that search, that Google search, I noticed just, a, just one line. It said, Charles Wesley, and we sing some of Charles Wesley. He was the founder of the Methodist Church. Charles Wesley wrote 8,000. 989 hymns himself. I believe, I believe the number of hymns to the glory of Jesus Christ are in the hundreds of thousands. Hundreds of thousands. So I ask this other question. What were the most popular Christian hymns? So out of hundreds of thousands of Christian hymns, What a Friend We Have in Jesus ranks number 19. The 19th most popular hymn of all time. It was born out of a friendship that a man named Joseph Scriven had with Jesus. Joseph Scriven was born in 1819 of prosperous parents in Ireland. He graduated 
from college, Trinity College, in 1842. One day before he was going to marry his childhood sweetheart. They had a, after, after he finished work, and after she finished work, or whatever their duties of the day, they would ride their horses to a place where they would meet. The day before they were to be married, she was crossing a bridge on the horse, and the horse was startled. She got bucked off the horse, landed in the river, knocked her head, and drowned in the river. Joseph was heartbroken, heartbroken to the point that the next year, he said, I got to move. When I see the green hills of Ireland, all I can see are the green eyes of the girl I loved. So he came to Canada. And while he was living in Canada, he found out that his mom was dying in Ireland. And that's when he wrote this, this, this poem, Pray Without Ceasing. He wrote it to his mother. He had no intentions nor dream that this poem would be for publication in the newspaper and would later become a favorite hymn among the millions of Christians around the world. In 1857, he moved to Port Hope, Ontario, where he again fell in love. His bride-to-be apparently got baptized, caught pneumonia, and just a couple weeks before they were to be married, she also died. He devoted the rest of his life to tutoring, preaching, and helping others. Scriven was a familiar sight around Port Hope. He was a big man with bushy white hair and a full white beard. And he would carry a, a buck. Um, uh, some sort of. Something he could cut wood on. I don't know the name. A sawhorse. And a saw. And he would walk around Port Hope. And he would cut wood for people that didn't have money. He wouldn't cut wood for people that could pay him, only people that couldn't pay themselves. It was said of him that he never turned anyone down if they asked for help. He was also a preacher. And wherever he found people gathered in the country or on street corners of Port Hope or Millbrook, Port Hope is a little bit um, east of Toronto, along the shore of Lake Ontario. But he would find groups of people standing around in these little towns, and he would start preaching, the biography says, to their express annoyance. He would sometimes be pelted with fruits and vegetables, but that did not stop him or deter him. He gave away his money and most of his possessions, and worked to help the poor and destitute. What a friend we have in Jesus. A man that not, didn't lose one fiancé, but lost two fiancés. But his spirit continued to be sweet. 
He didn't become selfish. He became more giving. Folks, this is not natural. It's the testimony of what Jesus can do through your life. You don't have to be a prisoner of your own sin. You don't have to be a prisoner of all your heartaches and heartbreaks. With Jesus as your friend, God can use your life in amazing, amazing ways. What a friend we have in Jesus. Are you his friend this morning? He wants to be your friend. He's calling you to repentance. And the book of Romans tells us, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus died to pay for your sins on the cross. He was buried and he rose again. He can save you. He can live in your heart because he's not still dead in that grave. He's alive. And all you got to do is ask him to be your savior. You know what? Why is that hymn the 19th most popular hymn out of hundreds of thousands of hymns? Because, because it was written out of a true friendship with God. And guess what? He wants to be your friend too. Will you ask him to be your friend? Will you ask him into your heart? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. you would like Jesus to be your friend would you ask him to be your friend this church Metro Baptist Church cannot save you but Jesus can save you there's no religious work that you can do that will save you Jesus did everything on the cross to save you he just wants you to ask him. And he'll come into your heart. And he'll be your friend. He's not going to tap you on the back and agree with your sin. He's going to challenge you away from sin. But he wants to come in your heart today. He wants to forgive you. Would you ask him into your heart? You say, how do I do that? Well, talk to him from your heart. The Bible tells us that he is all-powerful and all-knowing. So when you talk to him from your heart, in the quietness of your heart, he can hear you. Will you ask him into your heart? Father, you know the hearts of everyone here. And Lord, if there's people here today that invited you into their heart, oh Father, I pray that they would follow you. I pray that they would be baptized. And that I pray they would live their life learning about Jesus and becoming more like you. Oh, please help them in that journey. That salvation is a free gift. And if any person here today asked you to be their Savior, all of their sins are forgiven, past, present.
present, and future. Thank you for that wonderful love. In Jesus' name, amen.